Welcome to another episode of Cafe Booleans. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, John, Susie, and Alex. How are you all doing? Good. Doing well. This, this episode, we also have uh, another special guest, uh, Jacko. Jacko, how are you? Hey, doing good, thanks. And yourselves? Good. Yeah. Good, thanks. No, exciting we to be on. Good. Hey, Jacko, how did you hear about the show? Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> I mean, know. The I was sitting next to these guys and they just kept <laughs> recommending it to me. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah. No, it's, it's, fans. it's been one of those ones where I've had it thrown on my radar now and it's... It's been really good just listening through all the episodes. Actually, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, thanks, dude. That's nice. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's a uh, that's a warning message to our audience. If you hang around <laughs> us in person, you will be absorbed into the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jacko works next to us at Game Plus. For yeah, those listening. Yeah. So, Shout out to Game Plus as well. Nice little plug. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. <laughs> for connecting us. Um, so yeah. today's episode, we are looking at the future of AI in video games. So I thought it'd be a good topic to explore, like given, well, even within our kind of little chat, we we always bring up articles that have to do with like the weirdness and the kind of strange ideas coming with uh, AI in the future. And I know in the office at uh, Game Plus, Alex and I have some some heated debates around uh, AI. <laughs> so it, I thought it'd be good to have an episode and just like talk about the bunch you know, the different types of AI and just AI where it might go in video games. Um, so I found a really cool article that I thought would be a good jumping off point, uh, and it's really just around uh, both why does AI matter in gaming now, and then also. Uh, what is AI in gaming and also like where could it go in the future? So, um, yeah, so why does AI matter in gaming? So some of the some of the areas where AI is currently used um, in gaming at the moment, uh, well, AI in general is more, is about like kind of creating more responsive, adapting and challenging games through the use of artificial intelligence. That's what AI is when we say AI. Um, and even though kind of academics, some academics argue that game AI isn't really true AI uh, the, and the hype around technology has been kind of growing as of recent. Uh, but there are a lot of different things at the moment that, that use AI. So one of them is NPCs, so non-playable characters in games. Uh, that's really probably where it's used the most. So these are characters who you know, act intelligently as if they were controlled by human players um, and the behavior is determined by some some algorithms, some artificial intelligence algorithms and engines. Uh, so there's, there's things like decision trees that get used to kind of guide the behavior of NPCs. The second one is pathfinding. So pathfinding basically is getting from one point to another. Um, the whole gaming landscape uh, is the most important part of pathfinding. So the game AI can generate the game landscape or the game world as you go through the game world. And the AI can get feedback from your moves, your playing style, your, your decisions, your appearance, your techniques, and kind of create the landscape um, according to that. Third one is decision-making. So, you know, for example, in, in Red Dead Redemption 2, the behavior of an NPCs and their intention, uh, in, sorry, interaction with you depends on things like bloodstains on your clothes or the type of hat that you are wearing. And since there's like heaps of, you know, a huge amount of possibilities. Um, you can kind of create these really cool uh, cause and effect relationships with 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 AI. Another one is data mining. So 
this is a way of kind of allowing uh, game designers to perform data mining on player behavior and get an understanding of how people uh, are playing the game, you know, the parts that people play the most and what causes uh, users to stop playing the game. Uh, and this can also allow game developers to improve gameplay in real time uh, or even identify like uh, monetization opportunities. Another one is procedural content generation. So AI can generate and create new content, interactive stories, environmental conditions, levels, and even music, which is something that we've covered before on the on the show as well. Um, another one is cheating. So uh, kind of using artificial intelligence to understand behavior of a player and understand like are, are users cheating or are they doing uh are they doing behavior that isn't, uh, you know, an ordinary, what an ordinary player would do. So there's just a bunch of things that AI can be used for in games and is being used for at the moment. Um, and I just kind of want to open it up and say, like, is there, are there other things that people have seen that is missing from that list or, uh, where, where do, where do people want to see AI go in the future? I was going to say that list covers most of games. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. If it, I don't know what we've missed, but yeah, AI apparently can take control of both making the game and then cheating at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then telling you when you're cheating at it, <laughs> and then sending analytics back to the developers, which is yeah. also that AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it almost feels like a bit of a question of like what area isn't AI kind of involved in and like potentially mm. starting to move into. Mm. I'm yeah. trying to think of any off the top of my head, and I'm not coming up with um, with anything where I could be like, "Oh yeah, no, that's that's it." It's kind of like that that thing where people say like, "Robots are going to replace all our jobs." <laughs> yeah, and now uh, again, that's that's a weird thought though. I think we've brought this up on the show before. It's like if it gets to that point where you have AI both making and playing games, like they could be making and playing games that we know nothing about. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. humans just are uh, excluded from the whole process. <laughs> well, maybe we are the the game. Yeah. And that's the, oh, and well, well, that's a question, right? Can AI make games? What does everyone think? And can it make, can it make compelling games? I was gonna say, is that what's the what's the differentiation? Just just to um, you know put the rules out there of this hypothetical, you've got AI and then you have machine learning because by the looks of that list, they're very um, generous with what they call AI because like. By that list, like they're saying NPCs because they have character branches, that behavior branches makes them AI, which is true. But then does that mean that often gets confused with the idea of machine learning? So what's the Mm. basis? Are we saying AI can make games or machine learning can make games? And Jacko, did I just do that all wrong? (laughs) No, no, I think you're you're onto something there. Like it's that classic distinction between like, you know, people say AI and then like, what is AI? And um and Costa alluded to it as well with the start of, you know, like yeah, a lot of people will say, oh, this has nothing to do with AI. This is just like an algorithm in the sense of like A star for the pathfinding stuff. It's just like, oh, it's it's a really straightforward like algorithm where there's no learning happening or anything like that. It's not like the thing is getting smarter as you're going through this experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of those systems have been bundled up into the, does it look like the thing is responding to its situation? To some degree, okay, cool, that's intelligent, and we'll just lump it in as being intelligent. Um, 
so yeah, I think like yeah, still still a pretty like hard question. I don't really want to draw a solid line. I'm pretty sure any of the guys who actually worked on like neural networks and all that kind of stuff, like back when I was at Adelaide Uni, would probably be like jumping down my throat right now, being like, "No, we've got solid <laughs> definitions for all of this stuff." But yeah, no, I think it's it's probably best to leave it like pretty broad. Um, well, it's interesting you say that actually, because uh, there's a futurist uh, Michio Kaku, I think is how you say his name, who argues that like anything that is has some level of self-awareness is AI or intelligent. But he he proposed like even having something called like intelligence units, having it as a scale. And he said something like a thermostat that has a sense for the temperature and then will change like the heater based on that. That is maybe one one intelligence unit or something like that. So it's just like the most primitive basic form of AI. So I'm like half. She's like half. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll start at Susie then. <laughs> yeah, start at Susie. <laughs> I always find that, like, I think people want there to be a lot of, like, artificial intelligence. Like, they look for it and everything. Like, mm. with, with Hannah, like, it's not AI at all, right? But Hannah kind of looks like a person in the chat. And, like, um, Channel 10, I think it was, did an interview with us. And the whole time they just kept calling it AI, AI, AI. <laughs> like they were like, it's a person you talk to, it's AI. Like they were looking for that. Like we're always kind of looking for that human element or that yeah. realism, right? The same yeah, way definitely. a pet rock is a pet. <laughs> yeah, <I guess> so. <laughs> anthropomorphizing everything. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think this came up um, weirdly enough in like the robo debt stuff as well. Actually, like if you guys remember the whole like Centrelink robo debt thing, a lot of people mm-hmm. are saying it's like, oh, it's the end of AI. Like you can't trust the AI to do stuff. <laughs> and like at the end of the day, like there was a whole lot of problems with that situation. Um, but like on the on the AI front, like using inverted commas here, like it was just a simple like averaging algorithm. They got a bit wrong. Like they yeah. just didn't do the accounting right. Um, but people are like kind of giving it this grandiose like oh it's artificial intelligence checking yeah we can't use it yeah and that's really interesting because i i heard like um after they made that like after that that issue the government was spending millions of dollars on this chatbot this ndis chatbot that i think we've talked about before on the show um called nadia and they spent millions on it but they never deployed it and one of the reasons that people think they didn't deploy it was because the robo debt situation scared like our yeah. whole government away from using any sort of like <laughs> AI related thing like that millions oh, yeah. of dollars just sitting there not being used because of that. Wow. Well, probably one of the biggest like examples at the moment is uh, you got like the Tesla autopilot stuff in cars, which is, mm. you know, AI. And then, you know, a number of people have been killed in crashes by relying too much on it, <laughs> even though they've been advised not to or whatever. Um and even though, like, I don't know the statistics, but the argument is that less people die in those crashes than would die without AI. But even with that, like, lower number, people are still very hesitant to kind of rely on AI to make those decisions. Mm. Yeah, it's like a trust circle kind of. It's like you need yeah. to see it working and have it work reliably for a while before you think, yeah, okay, cool. I can trust that with my life. That's fine. Yeah. So to bring back what you were saying, Costa, about uh, could an AI make a game, I would say if it's just straight AI, not machine learning, then it all depends on the parameters a human puts in. And in which case an algorithm 
can then say, you know, your 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 level is a box or it's a triangle or it's a circle, pick one. Your characters are either Yeah, it would have to be some kind of machine learning rather than just AI to make a game. Otherwise it's still being made by a human. It's just the combinations of what come out would be which I guess is what uh, Dali is and all that. So that's well, yeah. it's it's funny because I've, like I've got an article where basically they have uh, there's there's artificial intelligence if, uh, at a at a university in London that have created uh, video games from scratch using artificial intelligence. So it's a bit of a trick question. Um, Here's a question. Which engine does the AI choose? Do they go Unity or Unreal? (laughs) (laughs) It says here, while the computer scientists had to add in some rudimentary graphics and sound effects, the game's uh, Angelina, which is the AI, is capable of creating... uh, Yeah, the, the games that Angelina is capable of creating would easily match the quality of those played by millions on Facebook and on smartphones. So it's kind of like... Low so fidelity. It randomly, <laughs> it, it basically created a game called Space Station Invaders in which the levels were created by randomly selecting from a list then scattering enemies and power-ups throughout the level. So it's really like what is the definition of an AI creating a game? Because like you've said, Alex, it's like here's the parameters of like what the game should be and like go and make it. So essentially it sounds like this AI has basically... Uh, taken a level, taken the concept of an enemy, scattered it, and like almost like generated levels in some to some capacity. This is one of those things. So, um, like, I don't, I haven't seen that article, so I might be wrong in this case. But I've seen like a lot of articles about you know AI generated music uh, and games and all sorts of things. Where if you actually read the article and look at the details, it's often like the AI came up with this concept of the game or the concept of the music or the first part and then humans intervene and added all the like actual pretty details and and then it gets like marketed as well ai has created this beautiful art and stuff like that um obviously with dali you know that is a lot more like direct and so it is getting to an interesting point but it's always interesting when people say ai but it's actually all right how much of that is actually the ai doing it and this kind of shifts the conversation Mm -hmm. to like the let's say artificial intelligence being used uh, in the context of uh, game development, not at, not as the kind of uh, end product in a way, um, and it's kind of I, I feel like when you look at it as a tool, and this is something that we we spoke about Alex yesterday. When you look at it as a tool, it's kind of like speeding up a process to get you maybe sixty percent there, and then yeah. the fi- you know that that final push is is uh, is you know the game developer at the end of the day, or the artist, or the programmer, or whoever it is, to uh, curate or, or kind of perfect it. Like it's kind of just like translate it to yeah, human. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, here's here's AI that can generate a bunch of stuff, and then it's like okay, cool, but what do we do with that? And like, what's the context in which it's used? Yeah, actually, just as a question to you guys, because um, I guess you could say like procedurally generated levels uh, AI to an extent. Do you guys find when you play that in games, like, do you enjoy procedurally generated levels? And I guess, do you enjoy it as much as human designed levels? Um, I think 
Well, it depends, right? Because I've been a part of a team, the same as you, John, with the, that has had procedure-generated levels and can say that there is a lot of testing that goes in, has to go into it of being yeah. like, do these all these combinations actually work together? So I feel like there's always still some kind of human element. I always feel, though, that um, uh, AI-generated stuff tends to be... Well, it depends on the parameters set, right? And it depends on how much time the team has and things like that. But it's always like unflavored noodles or something, you know? Like it's just <laughs> it's just pretty bland. Like it, it does need that human element to kind of juice it up. Hmm. <laughs> I love that question. It's an interesting analogy. AI like is like unflavored you noodles. Can just, well, you can live off of, of unflavored noodles. It's just going to not be fun. But it's not going to satisfy you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it takes the human touch to make it me goring. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I've heard another another quote that's kind of like that, which is something to do with like, uh, what is it? Procedural generation uh, is twice the effort for twice the content. <laughs> for twice the content, yeah. <laughs> I think we. I think that was at GCAP, actually. I think I read uh, that. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was in a talk right, yeah, at yeah. GCAP, yeah. Because it was all, all about improving process and it was like, yeah, well, at the end of the day, it's just going to get you, you know, it's twice the amount of effort for twice, yeah, the amount of uh, yeah. work or whatever. Yeah, but to give a bit more of a, a serious answer to it, I'd maybe say that um, I think what it what's interesting and what it has done is it's kind of opened up a bunch of genres. Like I'm thinking things like roguelikes and other stuff that like trade really heavily in on that. Mm. Um, and I think the value of it, kind of, if I was to like give some evidence for that, would just be the fact that those genres are like booming and and have a lot of eyes on them. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that yeah, without like getting somebody to try to author new content at that rate, um just just doesn't really work and so it's just another tool in the belt like you might not use it at all in your games or you might go really hard on it but it's a it's another possibility for you to explore well i mean no man's sky is completely procedurally generated right like to an extent that was a faster clock when it came out it was it was but it, it you know it was um it was popular like, like later on once they fixed all the issues that they had so mm. you know that's another example of a game that's almost entirely based on procedural generation Oh, I was just going to, well, that's a good point. Those fixes, though, were those fixes fixes to AI or were those content fixes? Because did they improve the AI or did they add that human touch, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to say they improved the AI, having not played it, but but I remember the memes that were around the launch day. <laughs> the weird animals the weird that came out of it. Dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. Dinosaur, yeah. <laughs> We've already got spore for that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was going to say as well is um, the uh, the proceduralism also isn't in the, as you were saying, Costa, it's not just in the end game of the actual game, but it's in the tool. So like mm. Substance Painter using proceduralism to, you have, you know, a sci-fi crate. You don't have to go in now and paint the edges to wear out the um, the metal. It just uses the information that's there, the 3D model to be like, here are the edges. All right, I'm going to apply scratches to it. That's an interesting one. I had didn't even because mm. uh, I had, I don't have any experience with substance painter. But what what other things? Are, how would you have done that previously? Was it like and and how much how much time does that save as well? So that's the thing, right? So, um, because this when when these when this software was brought out, it it was of course one of the arguments that were going to get made to say you know it's going to cost texture artists their jobs, right? But that's the difference of it being a tool and not a artificial intelligence generating its own stuff is because an artist still has to use it, but an artist can then go, I don't have to spend half an hour. So for example, if you, if you want to go 
early days how back it can go uh, with like computer texturing and stuff like that. If you want photo real textures, you have to go out, take photos, you have to develop libraries. Uh, I remember hearing some podcast or something about how um, texture artists back in the day are like in a few studios, big studios in America, they were sharing photos because they were like, oh man, I have this dry leaf texture that looks like metallic rust. Like, let's just chuck that in, right? Because they didn't have a library that said here is just rust and things like that. It's the same as John, I'm sure, with like when people go sci-fi sounds and you go, all right, break down what is a sci-fi sound, you know? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's, I'll just download sci-fi sounds dot zip, you know? <laughs> actually, funny you should bring that up. Um, I actually made a, a sci-fi Hollywood glitch generator <laughs> um, in an audio programming language the other day just based on a uh, youtube video i saw and so that's not ai in the like learning terms but that is something where it's like it's computer code that generates the sound from scratch and it's something i actually will use <laughs> um, hey. and and i think the interesting part like I, i'm ha- i was happy to share it around so i've sent the link around to a few people but it's one of those things where like i don't know if this is an ego thing but like even though I didn't come up with the original design of the generator because I made like my own version of it, I still feel like I somehow created the content <laughs> that comes out of it, which is yeah. this really weird trade-off. Responsible. So like, yeah, it's somehow responsible, responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're the director, I guess, in a way. Yeah. yeah. We could go back to our previous episode about like intellectual property and how that is maybe broken, my opinion. And all that kind of yeah, thing yeah. Uh, when we start talking about AI as well because it's it, it all gets very blurry. So. Well, yeah. another, another um, well, I guess there's a few tools, right, that uh, are more generally like powered by AI but has, have been used um, in game development, one of them being uh, DALI and all those kind of um, like what's the other one called? I can't remember. Midjourney was it? Mid-journey. Mid-journey. Yeah, mid-journey. So, we, we, I mean, we've spoken about that on the on the podcast before. Um, and the other one being Microsoft like- Microsoft Paint is, it, is another one? Microsoft Paint, yeah. Microsoft Paint, <laughs> that's, that's a beauty. That's the original. Um, oh, reliable. I, is the other one, is it, G, uh, GP, is it GPT-3? Yeah, that's it. The other one? Yep. That's the text it's one, right? And that, I think that I've, I've seen that one being used um, to like generate uh, dialogue and things like that as well. Um, what are your thoughts on these kind of tools being used in game development? Like, wh- what do you, what are the what what does it change? Like, what does it do? And then, does it? What are the kind of issues with it, or if there are? I think the the text one, like the I can talk to quite a bit because I've had like a lot of experience with chatbots and things, right? Mm-hmm. And like this huge like issue that keeps coming up whenever I try and use data sets, like. GPT-3 is that it's biased AF, right? Like mm-hmm. all of the data is so bad. Like you, you, we all remember that thing where Amazon had to stop using the AI to screen its resumes because it was only hiring like oh. middle-aged <laughs> white men. <Yeah. laughs> so like it was automatically pushing out anyone that didn't meet that. Um, and like the the language of all of those is quite gendered as well mm-hmm. um, and, and quite exclusive. And there's that, I remember that, do you guys remember that chatbot that Microsoft made? Yes. And it was online for like 24 hours before they had to pull it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We can't have nice things, guys. Well, that's because they, just- they opened up the, the – uh, well, they didn't even open it up to the public, I guess. It was meant to just learn from the public and people straight away worked out how to <laughs> hack it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that AI, that, that, that data set that learns or, you know, learns or yeah. – and that's what it's – that's what it's doing, right? Like- uh, just, just for our audience, so if you didn't see that, uh, look it up. But it was a bot that Microsoft made that they put on Twitter that learnt basically from conversations it had on Twitter. And it was meant to be like a teenage girl or something like that. But um, people quickly realized how to train it, her to say like a- anti-Semitic and racist and all sorts of other terrible things and spread that hate across mm. <laughs> Twitter. And so within yep. 24 hours, they pulled her down. <laughs> And the other thing too is that like if we take these data sets that are based on what's already on the internet, then they're always going to be biased to who's using the internet. Mm-hmm. So like who uses the internet the most? Like it's it's us, right? People in Western society, like, you know, we have probably medium socioeconomic status. All of those those people is where the data's being saved. So it's not inclusive data. It doesn't represent the true world. It represents who's on the internet in the spaces where it's collecting from. Mm. Yeah, or at very least the people who are using that particular service. It, it's going to like yeah. get all those echo chambers just condensing and then replay it back to them. And before you know it, like probably start learning from itself somehow. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's, it's interesting. It reminds me. So one thing I'm looking into at the moment is uh, like music notational systems. Um, and so we kind of have our Western classical notational system, which we would all just call sheet music. Um, And that is very, very good if you're trying to make Western classical music um, or like other kind of instrumental music or something like that. Where it breaks down incredibly fast is if you're making uh, electronic music that has a lot of different sounds or if you're any other culture in the world, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is a lot of music um, because every different culture has their own like different like pitches notes they use different sounds different instruments all kinds of things like that yeah because that's that's really that's really weird right like like what you're just saying then john like it our our notes are like a particular frequency because like some guy said it right so that's yeah, like ingrained yeah. yeah there there is like some parts of it that are cross-cultural um but a lot of it isn't and it's like tradition and like i could go deep in this but i'll try to keep moving um basically each culture has the music and then they develop their own kind of notation system to analyze the music and then people learn that system of analysis and then they write music that's in line with it. So it's that kind of feedback loop. Um, And the equivalent to my understanding of AI is that when you're creating AI, you're kind of setting up these points or these goals for it. Like if you do this type of thing, you're doing well. So then reinforce that kind of neural network in your digital brain. And so if the kind of like goals that you have are intrinsically biased in the culture or whatever it is that you're coming from, then the AI can't help but then reinforce that and go in that infinite feedback loop in that way as well. So in terms of games, that will probably mean that certain types of games will be made. And like that's fine as long as we're okay, uh, as long as we're aware of what those biases are and that the tools are only used for those kind of (laughs) areas, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Well, Susie, would you find value in that kind of tool if it didn't have all the bias and that kind of stuff, like from a narrative perspective or from, you know, game design perspective? 
Yeah, definitely. Well, like, because we're working on a chatbot at the moment and essentially like what we found is that we're working with a vulnerable group that we can't use those data sets because they're, they're kind of harmful to that group. So like instead we have to hand code every potential outcome in, in this huge like chatbot tree. That's like really, really painful in a sense. Like, yeah, you get control, but like, oh my God, right? Like <laughs> how nice would it be to have like, data sets that aren't that way yep mm. so it's almost maybe like the data sets that, that get fed into it mm. yeah comparing that to what we're saying before about texturing because that's a data set getting fed into it but uh texturing is physics based right like you've you've metal will wear along an edge but you can come up with any response to any conversation like you can't reply that same kind of ai to a text because there's only so many options like if you have if you're like i have a cube and i'm going to chuck it in a texturing program like uh, you know for, for it to be like oh look the metal would actually wear off on the face before the edges that would still require some external data to say yeah. no there was actually something else sitting there which it can already do you say you have something sitting in front of it and it would use the ambient occlusion map or something like that but to but physics doesn't lie people lie like you could just completely screw with the yeah. system which is what the tay thing was much it's much more rigid rigid rules when it comes to you know modeling and you're right it's all physics based even if you can tweak the the physics in whatever way you want like it's still rules that that mm. apply to the rest of the process there yeah yeah and, and and if you tweak it that's where you have basically a broken ai because yep. it just won't be believable like with the output yeah. you make you know mm-hmm. like this reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff um like on the, on the kind of like narrative and interaction side of things if you think about um like rpg systems like D or something like that they've been floating this kind of new D one system with like an engine that people can play in and see visual stuff in there and a lot of the people i've heard talking about this who are like DMing that kind of stuff, say, oh God, I hate it. Like, I don't want rigid <laughs> rules locking me into what I can and can't create on the fly. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. it's been interesting to just see the, the immediate pushback from just the thought of anything even remotely clamping that down, um, mm. which I find like interesting. Uh, yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense, right? And it depends on the type of campaign you're running and like how much flexibility you want that or how much, um, you know, emergent narrative you want to allow in your. You can't paint, but like that could be really restrictive. Like you go through that door yeah. and suddenly you're in space. Well, no, you're not. You're in another dungeon because that's what <laughs> the VTT yeah. can create. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden it becomes much more D&D the board game rather than D&D yeah. the RPG. Yeah. yeah. Um, so does that, does that opinion come from basically D&D? I mean, I don't, I haven't really played D&D, but is it from obviously D&D being like, so you're imagine it's the it's the dungeon master's uh, you know imagination like to go wherever you want and then you have a system like this where it's like well we've designed it to be like this it's been designed pre like where does yeah. that kind of is it from that opinion or yeah so I think the like the main example that was given to me was something like okay if the engine says that there's a wall here and this character can't go through that wall like they want to move and it'll try to calculate how far you can move. But they want to say, oh, and then I punched a hole through that wall. Like, can I do that in the engine? Will it just automatically do it? Or am I going to have to sit there, like, fiddling around with bits and pieces to try to make that happen? 
Uh, so for me, yeah. like if we counter like point that a bit, we'd say, oh, that'd be the perfect candidate for having an AI be able to like, te- like you know, this yeah. is pretty far fetched, but like text to speech, like oh yeah, okay, AI, please blow a hole in that wall, and it kind of trying to figure out what that means with mm-hmm. like some of that advanced like GPT three like text to speech stuff that they've got going. Um, yeah, I, that'd be like the far goal, but. I think you need something at that level of it just understands what a wall is and what it means to blow a hole in it um, for that to be workable. Because, I mean, have have you played, uh, was it the GPT-3 dungeon? I can't remember what it's called. AI uh, it's dungeon. like the dungeon AI one, yeah. which is essentially yeah. what you're talking about, but text-based. And, like, yeah. it does really well at first, but then, like, you'll say blow a hole in the wall and then sometimes it'll be like, yeah, you blew a hole in the wall and you escaped. Sometimes it'll be, it'll bring up some random character that you were talking about, you know, 20 lines ago and then some <laughs> random dragon and it just appears and it's like, <laughs> it's it's like not what a human would do, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's cool if you're open to a very surreal experience, but <laughs> that's pretty much it. Crap, I don't know what to do. I'll bring back some dragons and put you in a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I remember hearing that they were like having real problems with those kind of things, like swearing at people as well. Yeah. Just, like <laughs> I remember seeing on Reddit, it's like people were talking about, um, all right, t- tell us like how many minutes do you have to play this before it turns into some sexual nightmare kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it just always went back there. One, uh, one really cool uh, talk I went to at GCAP, this software called Glaive. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. I mean, I heard of it at the talk, but yeah, it's pretty cool. You, yeah, you, you, you were there in the talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was amazing. I don't know. Did you? Were you as amazed as I was at that at that at that talk? Yeah, I thought I thought he presented it really well. Um, yeah, which is good. So complex. at some point, if there's a GCAP link for that, we, we might be able to post it somewhere. I guess. Yeah, John John Manning was the, was the speaker, um, who's the co-founder of Secret Lab, and the the talk was about using automated story planners for augmented narrative. So it was um, using this software, again, called Glaive. Well, I think it was based on Glaive, but it's – and again, I'm like going to butcher this because I don't really understand it as as well as it was – and it's a quite complex, but it uses something called PDDL, I believe it is, which is um, Planning Domain Definition Language, uh, which is an AI planning – language which defines a planning problem um and then i think you you run it through this system and it um generates a solution based on a problem essentially i'm again i'm I'm butchering this and when the talk comes out we'll post it but what i've what i found interesting was like through the talk john basically took the the plot of uh it was i think it was raiders of the lost ark Indiana Jones Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. And he dissected it into problems. And he had like the initial state of the story being like Indiana Jones is alive, the Nazis are alive, uh, there's a I can't remember what it was. What's is it the 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 holy grail that they're looking for is in this location, and uh the end state is that the Nazis are dead, Indiana Jones has the uh has the the arc and uh, and whatever, whatever the conditions are, right? And he specifies it, and he specifies like rules that occur between these um, different characters. Like 
Indiana Jones can, or a, pl- a person can give a, uh, can give the Ark to someone and the Ark can be taken and basically like this real complex rules. And it was quite like jagged in terms of the, uh, the, the, the syntax and how they wrote it. It looks very much like code, but it, it kind of like you go through this, this talk and then at the end of it, you're like, oh, wow, I can understand where this is going because, uh, as he kind of pushes, uh, runs this code, it, it actually, the computer will be like, okay, these are all the steps that have had to occur uh, for uh, this end state to be reached. So, and it, and it says things like Indiana Jones gives the arc or gets the arc and then the arc gets taken from Indiana Jones from these people and then this happens and then this happens. And it starts generating this like story based on just these two endpoints of of conditions, which I thought was like really crazy. And uh, John was talking about it in the context of uh, generating, uh, randomly generating stories, right? Like, and it's not going to be stories that like really make sense, like a lot of sense, but um, he was talking about using it like in the background, let's say of a video game. Let's say you go to a, a village in a video game and there's this really intricate backstory that has occurred at that village um, and it's all been randomly generated. Uh and again, I don't know. I was, my mind was blown when I heard this because it was a really cool use of uh, randomly generating things and then uh, c- almost creating like a semi-coherent story from these different elements. Could could that be used in a non-fiction setting? Like, could you say, "Hey, I want to be at this point in my life in twenty years"? So for me, for John, I would say <laughs> I am currently, you know. At this point, I'm making music for games. I'm at uni. I'm doing a few things. And in 20 years' time, I want to own this mansion. I want to own all these things. I want to have my own production company and be Hans Zimmer's boss. And then I hit OK. Go. And then this <laughs> generates all the steps I have to do for, to make that happen. Wow. In Is two years, you must be Mick Gordon. Yeah. It's like step <laughs> one, kill Hans Zimmer. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> that's, that's right. And, that, and that, that's that's kind of how the, the, the AI worked in a lot of the situations. It was like, um, and, and kind of John had to keep specifying rules because it was like, it yeah, was kind of like uh, Indiana Jones kills the Nazis and takes the, the thing and it was, or something like that. Like it was something where it's like, okay, well, that's not what happened. Like you're, you're you know. Well, that's not the ideal path that we want, like because you're trying to kind yeah. of, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what it I love about really it? It's, it's it's found the most efficient route that's through right. that movie, and that's but what it's it does. Not found the the best. And it was really fiction. good at cutting out anything that wasn't core plot as well. So it'd be like, oh, look, all these side characters—they don't matter. Like it just won't even mention them; they'll disappear from wow. the plot. Did yep, he give it a it. format like the hero's journey? Because like that—that story is one of the most common hero's journey formats. So, like, um, does it plot to the hero's journey points? No, no, it doesn't really have a formal understanding of any like story creation stuff. Um, but it was, it was just kind of trying to basically solve like almost like a linear algebra problem, or like just simulate through something and like chunk, 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 chunk. And he had to That's keep cool. adding conditions and constraints to what could happen to the narrative until that kind of just fell out to match Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like training yeah. a pet or something, right? Like you know. <laughs> The outcome is they go to the toilet outside and you're watching the dog figure that out. And you're like, oh, I go here. No, 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 you don't go here. We can't do that. Let's set up another rule, okay? That's right. Yeah. No going in the living room. Oh, okay, so it's, <laughs> it's outside. Yeah, it's like you need to be like the end state is 
dog is outside going to the toilet there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. that's the, the initial state is the dog is inside. Like and, you, and it starts to generate all these things like that. Um, yeah. It was, I don't know. I, I just found it really fascinating. Like I know, like it seemed really uh, complex and complicated to set up uh, like in a, in the way it was even showed, it was like literally looking at code and very complicated. But I thought like, I don't know if, if someone could kind of make that a lot, you know, easier to understand and, and to use, like it could be a pretty powerful tool. Mm. Yeah, like a nice UI would have done wonders for that, I reckon. Definitely. <laughs> That's, it reminds me of a lot of academic projects. Um, they're firing some shade. But um, that's, uh, yeah, like one of the things that it actually struck me as being really nice for was not necessarily trying to do the whole story in the one section, but given that it has that end goal, it's kind of like creating nice little chapters mm. that, you know, that can be variations. So everybody will get like a little bit of a different playthrough but the major story beats, you can say, ah, oh, this is the goal for this chapter, like get to here and then mm. you can take off from there and it'll feel like a coherent story that everybody does experience but with some subtle differences. Yeah, mm. and even how the player might influence those things in between the the, the, the plot points to change certain uh, factors that get to that, that would be another interesting kind of thing to add to that. Yeah, but it was really cool seeing like something practical, um, some like... AI, I don't know, is that, is that AI? I'd say it is, but some practical um, outcome. Yeah, it's interesting. I might be wrong, but the spelling of glaive, glaive, G-L-A-I-V-E, I reckon it's a pun. Is AI it? is right in the middle there. Uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised they didn't capitalize it like every other AI project. <laughs> it's very academic of a, of a project. <laughs> oh, I was, I was looking at the uh, wrong glaive. There's a thing called GLAVE that's machine learning as well, AI, okay. but it's about uh, team man- like building a program or something, experimental learning management software. And it's spelled GLAVE. I've been looking at the wrong website i'm like i'm like none of this is in here yeah. <laughs> alex has just been lost for the last half an hour yeah. glaive.io there you go free plug <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah another another one that uh, i don't know who, who wants to cover the uh, mini mini brain in petri dish because that was a really cool topic as well that's kind of like i don't know if it's ai yeah. but it's in the future of of games and what did John I'll, call I'll it the other day? It. Sorry. Uh, what did you call it the other day? Brain uh, intelligence. <laughs> oh, manufactured intelligence. Wasn't manufactured. it something like that? You called it where it's natural intelligence, but not. As in, it's AI, but it's not. Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. It's like it's like cultured intelligence. intelligence, like cultured meat, but like cultured <laughs> yeah. intelligence. That's good. Cultured intelligence. <laughs> I love that because it's in a petri dish. Oh, wait. So we haven't introduced it yet. Maybe we should introduce uh-uh. it. Um. So, audience, um, my good friend Jacko here alerted me to an alarming development in the world that we live in the other day, which is that- Alarming, you say. (laughs) Tell me more. Alarming spelt with an AI. (laughs) Uh, A team over, I believe they're over in Melbourne, uh, in Cortical Labs, has developed a mini brain in a Petri dish, which is, from my understanding, uh, a cluster of 800,000 brain cells attached to- uh, some computer chips, and they claim they've taught it to play Pong. They're claiming they've taught the mini brain of brain cells to play Pong. And at this point, I will hand over to Jacko, who will tell you what's actually going on here, because that's the limit of my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like um, 
pretty much like John was saying, they've got some kind of apparatus set up there to be able to get, you know, I think they did it with both. It's been done with both human brain cells and it's been done with mouse brain cells. I think that might've been an earlier study. Um, and they figured out both how to get the brain cells kind of talking to the computer and how to get the computer talking back to the brain cells. Um, and they did a bit of like control study as well for this to see what happens if they don't give any feedback from the computer back to the brain cells. Uh, and lo and behold, it didn't learn anything. Like it couldn't learn to play Pong without the feedback. So it was kind of supposed to be proof that, yeah, oh, this thing is definitely not just naturally somehow able to play Pong. It is learning over the course of it. Um, and they did see, I, th- I believe they saw a steady improvement as time went on for um, for its ability to do that, which is interesting stuff, but kind of also feels pretty natural, right? In that we can learn to play Pong, so therefore we have brain cells and brain cells can learn to play Pong. So the question from this is, has science gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing was, because I was watching um, this video it was like recap. Someone um, actually interviewed the the guy who made it, or the te- the guy from the team who made it, I should say. And he was saying that they then compared it to AI learning Pong, um, and they said that AI is a la- is like if you're like I need to give these brain cells a thousand games of Pong for it to learn it right. Um, for the brain cells, that happens in real time, like as we think. You know, but for a computer, it can do that in like a second. It can run a thousand matches and do it. But what it found was the human brain cells were more efficient at learning Pong than the AI was. So we still beat computers. So does that imply that there's something else going on there in this petri dish of brain cells amongst brain cells that we haven't quite figured out and put into our AI neural network algorithms? Well, one thing I saw on it was there was they with the with the Jacko was saying about with the mice, they were saying they, they don't know why, but the um if you know this you probably might know this better, Jacko, so if if you do cut in at any time. Um human brain was able to learn faster than the mouse brain. Um, but they couldn't figure out why, and they think it's it's to do with there's things called tendrils. Ours, our tendrils are longer than mice ones. They think that our learning happens within the tendrils. Like if you if your tendrils are longer, it gives it more time to learn how to do something. Um, yeah, and uh, it was giving it – how was it doing the feedback? You know, you said, Jacko, like without feedback, it couldn't do it. It was sound or something, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's the kind of bit that um, I found interesting in the first place. It's like, okay, how do you how do you kind of trick these brain cells into wanting to learn to play Pong? Um, because, you know, presumably they've got, like, no greater motivation here. Um, <laughs> and uh, to, to actually, like, understand what was, like, how that worked, um, it's a bit of a tangent, but I was talking to John about this recently. There was a Radiolab, like, podcast from, like, back in 2007 um, where they were talking about, like, how we actually hear stuff, like, when we're listening to music and and what makes stuff feel right. And they were discussing, you know, okay, it's it's sound waves going through the air and coming into your ear and, all this mechanics happens. But then it gets into the point where it starts, like little hair follicles inside your ear start sending brain signals off uh, that like it starts talking to your neurons. Um, and what they did was they gave like kind of a description or like an auditory example of what that sounds like. Um, and they kind of played two different, um, two different sounds. So one was like a perfect fifth, which is something that musically sounds really nice and satisfying. 
and then they compared that with a minus second. Um, and like for any of the listeners who really like haven't heard of this kind of stuff, John might be able to throw in some audio clips for that. Oh, and- edit in some sounds. Yeah. Hey. Sure. <laughs> I um, hope it's Jaws. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then they um they kind of analyzed what the what like, they ma- managed to like kind of hook into the inner ear and, and listen to what these neurons were were doing like um like what electrical signals were going and so for the really nice sounding thing the neurons sounded kind of like like really regular and repetitive and then for the bad sounding one it was something like Whoa. so it was like kind of disorganized and disordered um and it kind of turns out that basically when we listen to stuff, we like hearing things that like, or we like brain signals that are regular and repeated. And so that's what they did for this Petri dish experiment was they basically gave ordered like regular inputs when it was doing a good job of playing Pong, basically, when wow. it was like hitting things nicely. And so I think that's how the whole thing kind of works. So they were essentially playing the brain nice music when it did well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that reminds me of the whole like, uh, play classical music to your plant and it'll grow faster. Yeah. <laughs> and if you play heavy metal, then it won't, which I think they ended up finding that uh, isn't true. The only reason it is true is because they reckon heavy metal music was so intense that it actually just like hurt the plant. People's brain cells different as in like from person to person or is a brain cell a brain cell? I assume you get like some genetic mutation-y stuff potentially happening, but I'd, I'd hope they're not like too different. Because if people like regular beats or whatever, then like there are people who like Tool. Yeah, just so irregular. Well, actually, yeah. Jacko, you were talking about something like that today about um, how the way different people perceive the world uh, influences who they make friends with. Yeah, I mean, that might be an interesting one to try to unpack. It's um, There is a... I think it was a it was like a theory of the mind with David Byrne kind of podcast like chat where they were talking about some of the experiments that he was doing with um, shepherd tones to basically try to get people to listen to these kind of two tones that they would play one after the other and ask the audience, okay, has it gone up or has it gone down? And they had some maths behind these frequencies and what was going on. And the answer was neither. There is no up or no down to this song. Um, like with the way they'd set up these like multiple layered frequencies only what you perceive it to be. So very similar to kind of like the, remember that like dress meme that there was in the past or like mm. Yanni and Laurel and like oh, that kind gosh. of stuff. Yeah. It's like you can hear both at once, but like you'll hear one and that's how you'll perceive it. Um, and so that's your brain just trying to pattern match to what it's used to. But where they went is like one step further to this was they started looking at, oh, what can we predict out of that? And it turns out that, you will tend to be friends more often with people who have that same perception as you. Mm-hmm. It's like you will naturally like gravitate towards those kind of people. Um, like, and they kind of like explored that concept. And I think the like kind of ultimate one was they got to the point of doing this study on these university students and um, did all these like kind of, of brain mapping things as they like exposed them to all these stimuli as they like came in like fresh off the bus and like recorded all this data. And then let their social networks kind of just settle throughout the semester or the the years or something like that. And apparently, they got some pretty good traction on predicting who would become friends with who based off of that. Um, So, I don't know whether that does mean difference in brain cells specifically. I mean, that could be any number of things, nature, nurture. But Because when I saw uh, the the, the brain cells learn to use Pong, I was like, oh, no, like wait until 
insurance companies get their hand on this, right? Because they'll like take a sample of your brain cells and be like, nah, we, we don't think you're going to make good choices. Like it takes, it, it took our machines so long to teach it Pong based on your cells. Like <laughs> we don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, what about ADHD brains? <laughs> Man, they could plug it into like three games at once. Yeah. <laughs> you got no idea what I'm going to do next. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so how do we bring this to games, Costa? <clears throat> well, to bring it back to games, we've spoken about a lot of potential futures, uh, different ideas that have that are coming in the future. What what is it that excites you or scares you about um, AI? Let's say particularly in games and game development in the future. Like, is there something that is something that in your mind excites you, or is kind of like, yeah, I don't really want that to happen because of X, Y, Z. The thing, like, like the idea of like AI narratives or like procedural narrative. I hate it. <laughs> and I think the reason why I hate it is because I want my narratives to be somebody's story. Mm. Like I want to learn more about the people who wrote it. Like I want to know why you think that way or why you feel that way or what it's like to be an astronaut or a Jedi or whatever, right? Like I want to know that from the people who wrote it. Mm. And so like it feels kind of like taking it away. Like I, I don't want to not see that. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's like a novel experience being conveyed somehow and shared, and that's like a really like yeah. key part of humanity. Yeah, because it's always somebody's point, right? Somebody's point of view, somebody's perspective, like mm-hmm. lived experience. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like if it's the thought that an AI could do that, but then do it as convincingly, it's like does that like cheapen somehow yeah. our experiences? Yeah. You're you're making it more of a a commodity, do you know what I mean? Like it's not so, uh, yeah, it's not so valued anymore. It's kind of like a, you're almost thinking of it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just get story in here and we'll just like let's just generate it and get it in and that's it. Yeah. As opposed mm. to thinking about it and having, you know, someone's opinion and someone's uh, viewpoint on it. And like how it changes. So like you could feed like say, uh, you know, I like teen dramas, right? You could feed all the teen dramas that exist today into a generator and it would make something based on all of those things. Mm-hmm. But like the world, like like you take Dawson's Creek and you take the new Heartbreak High and mm-hmm. there's totally different like issues and situations and identities mm-hmm. that that would never happen because it would always be exist in the canon of the whole perspective of it not just like not the world now mm-hmm. yeah it's just yeah. it's not actually you could feed it even if you fed it old stuff it's not going to understand the context of today to be be different and be unique in a way yeah yeah it's the idea of what intelligence is isn't it it's like if you if someone if you give someone a recipe to make a loaf of bread and they do it, that doesn't, that's not a signal of intelligence. But if they then go, oh, okay, I used flour, I used an oven, I can now make, I've seen people make muffins before, I'm going to make muffins now because the core elements are there, I just have to redo it. Like, mm. but could it, is a computer going to do that or something like that? Mm. Listen, like, what is, what is creativity, right? Like, it's some kind of synthesis of something that hasn't been seen before, like some kind of novelty that's there. 
Mm. Um, and that's what I find like kind of interesting about that um, that AI can't do creativity discussion is I think we're starting to see some of the places where that's kind of being proven dis- to be not like quite true at least or probably wrong. Um, just in terms of like kind of bringing it like in a mathematical sense, you'd almost bring it back to like when as a human, you're trying to solve this massive problem space with like way like infinite possibilities, way too many to try to enumerate. So you just kind of like try in a direction and you'll figure something out. And you'd be like, this is my unique take on it. And it worked for me. And everybody's like, oh, that's amazing. Cool. Nobody mm-hmm. had thought to try this before. Um, and now they're like, like in a mathematical sense, the the computers are now just getting kind of like smart enough to be able to wander around blindly the way we've been doing it except mm. like you know occasionally we use a bit of like oh i actually i've got a good hunch about this one and now computers are kind of learning to have a bit of a hunch as well and and that's kind of where we're headed yeah yeah it's like the context right like there's no mm. context it's yeah. like if you if you if you as an artist put together a picture of trump and a dinosaur it's like funny to us because we know that you know the context in which trump exists and people think he's a dinosaur or whatever right but if an ai did that it's just like if it's funny it's random that it's funny it doesn't exist in the context of that joke or that yeah. world mm. that's interesting and and you could anthropomorphize the dinosaur based off of features that people just find funny as opposed to a computer that's going dinosaur, Donald Trump. Mm. The, and the other thing, I guess, is maybe that's where it's heading, right? Because we we like we have, you know, GPT-3 and understanding language and context and, and that kind of stuff. Um, well, actually, it doesn't do very well at context. But I wonder if, like, that's the eventual evolution of kind of these things. It's like the fact that you can say, you know, draw me something funny or tell me something funny, and it knows, it's like, something that's you know, funny in the context. Because you and I, as you said, we were talking about this yesterday, right, with um, Sean, who we've had on a earlier episode about, about this. And my my thing of, like, I hate it, right? I hate this AI-driven... Um, which which part the, of it and what and why? Well, I don't like the end game of it, right, which is what I was saying to you yesterday, of I don't like that, um, like, the end goal for this mm-hmm. is... You know, like, okay, so as an artist in games, right, The because this is the context we're talking about is the creativity side of it. So what what the end game is is to take out people doing it and replace it with, with an AI, um, which is, you know, just like, so that's, like you said, that's one end game. Yes, that's one end game. But here, but because I've been thinking about that conversation we had and then I was trying to formulate a way to have it. And I think I have one of the reasons why I don't like probably the primary reason why I don't like it because what comes up with that where you go, I don't like um, AI because it will take jobs. That means, okay, well, it means you don't like innovation. Then what do you say for truck drivers and things like that to that? I say those jobs that are getting lost to automation are replacing a process that is part of, um, you know, sustaining life or something like truck drivers need to get, and this is saying I would want truck drivers to lose their job, but that's always the thing that gets compared to because you've got driverless cars now and things like that. But it's a process. One thing has to happen before the other. Creativity does not have to happen at all. And this was the big thing I came to. Creativity does not have to happen. We choose as humans to want there to be creativity because we've gone, if we don't have creativity, we don't want to exist. Like we will find a way to make creativity. So morally, I do not think it's the job of a computer to take the job of a person for creativity because it is not a needed process. 
these other things like getting supplies to somewhere is a process. It's a logical process. It needs to happen. Creativity isn't logical. It doesn't need to happen. We chose to make it happen. So that means we shouldn't then forfeit that choice to something that isn't inherently creative. That should stick with the creators. Hmm. And I mean, like, 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 I've, like I mentioned yesterday, it's like I think it depends in the context of, of how you use the things that you're doing. Like the thing that excites me about like Dali is that just like I would go on Google to find inspiration about something, I can use a tool like Dali to generate a bunch of things. It's not, not that I'm going to um, use those you know, things directly, but uh, it's, it's an interesting way of just sparking new connections. You know, like if I want to see what uh, something looks like, I can, you know, use my imagination. Obviously like that's something that you use because you've, come up with that idea but then to use like put it through a tool and like 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 uh mid journey or dali and just get a bunch of variations on something i'm like that's amazing and then i can use those variations to uh ideate my idea or uh create something from from that like it's no in my opinion like when it's being used as part of a process like that it's no different to me going online and looking at other things for inspiration. It's it's just um, a different form of inspiration, um, one that can be, let's say, you could argue if it's more nuanced or more unique because it's an amalgamation of other things. But it's just I I feel like when you use it in that context, it's um, I'm not maybe it's replacing something, like maybe it's replacing me going to a concept artist and saying, "Show me a hundred of these." But but the thing is that like it's more accessible to me because I don't ha- like I might not have the resources to pay someone to do that, um, or I might not have like someone that I know that can do that. But I can go to Dali, I can go to a, a software platform like that, and be like, give me a hundred of these very like give me a hundred variations of these, and I get that. So it's like for someone that uh, you know is yeah like can't do that or just doesn't you know. Uh, have the means to do that like I, I feel like that platform used in that context can be quite powerful for uh, like creative exploration mm. yeah there's a there's an optimistic kind of best of both worlds take in there that I find pretty appealing um, like one of the things that springs to mind for me that I think I might have mentioned to you guys before is um, I think it's NVIDIA's voice to face mm. so it's something where it takes like a, a voice actor's clip and you've got a kind of 3d model of somebody's head and it goes and rigs it and does the like kind of lip syncing facial animation stuff for that model based on the the voice recording you give it and you kind of have some parameters i think you can slide for like oh i want it to be smiling a little bit more or like a couple of basic emotions um and i think the discussion around that basically kind of ended up at okay it's pretty good it gets you like 90 percent of the way there but then that last 10 percent doesn't quite feel human it doesn't quite feel right Mm. And that's still something where you want like a facial animator to come in and do that extra little bit, but you've just saved them 90% of the, like uh, what I had, like one person who is like kind of starting to learn the basics of this was saying like the boring bit for them of like the block out phase where you're just like, Oh, I'm like kind of lost in the middle of this blank canvas and I know where I need to end up to. And it's a bit procedural and I just wish that could go away and I could just get to the fun part where I really like accentuate and put those emotions in there and make it mine. And that, that for me feels like a really nice place, like where, where both teams are working together, mm, like AI mm, and mm. humans. 
and I like, kind of almost reminds me of um, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, stuff where I think um, I think it's like in chess or something like that, where you know AI started getting better than humans, and then they started pairing AIs with humans on teams to see if they could do better than just the AIs, and I think that ended up working better. And so they've got like all these strategies for like humans kind of doing the high level decisions and AI is doing like a lot of the predictive stuff yeah. um, and just like tag teaming that. And that's a really good way of doing things. Yeah. And I wonder if we might end up with that in, uh, in our games processes for just making things. And that's kind of shown in the, like in, like in the tech stream process, like I was talking about before of using a software where it still requires you to know a crate is made of wood and has a metal trim. And then you go, all right, computer, it has a metal trim. The body of the crate is made of wood. Work those out, because that's a that that is proven to not disrupt the flow. It's it's made more opportunity, right? Mm. Mm. So if if it goes along that line, then yeah, I'm yeah I'm for and, it. But I mean, even- there is still a dangerous yeah. line in the in the idea of there is. of that of your your of yeah that's- creativity being optional and giving it to someone who's something that's not inherently creative well that's just to say we can do it yeah yeah and i guess that's on the creator to be like i'm giving up creative freedom and creative control to an ai versus myself like if you are acting as like the not only the curator but the lead on where the creative direction goes in certain things like then you like i said you're just using those those things as tools for um let's say sparking conversation or exploring ideas and and even from like a a a narrative perspective like it would be interesting to just like throw a bunch of things at an ai and be like generate like a hundred ideas of something and i just look through them and i'll be like "Mm, that's kind of interesting like you know take it from there and be like okay what 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 would that look like not not like letting the ai do the whole thing but just like generating an idea and being like that's kind of cool yeah even talking about that like creative control stuff right that's even outside of ai that's already kind of an issue right like we're, we're talking things like outsourcing like oh yeah i just need you know these keyframes done on this animation i'm just going to send it out to somebody else to do that mm. work um, exactly or yeah losing that creative control over processes and, and that's yeah. the thing right like what's the difference in that like i know we uh we've spoken to uh jed uh, at game plus as well who does like in between shots in 2d animation and i was talking to him about like couldn't that be automated? Um, because it's kind of like, you know, so in, again, I'm going to butcher the, the definition of in-between shots, but you've got like sort of key frames in an animation. And then in between, you have these kind of rougher um, uh, shots, which are kind of, it's currently a very manual process where someone goes in and like draws it quite roughly to kind of show like, okay, a hand has gone from here. I'm showing a hand face on to, you know, a hand backwards or something. And to, to, to draw those little f- like frame by frame in between things, you don't do it as detailed. You get someone to do it in a quite, quite rough, rougher way um, to just get that, that going. And like that's a 2D animators kind of initial role um, in a lot of these companies is to just do that, those in between shots. But I, we kind of looked it up and there's actually been like some, some early AI tools that uh, can assist with, doing in between shots um and we saw like a lot of issues with it because it was there was an understanding of like well the 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 ai doesn't know the movement that someone would make to get from one shot to another so it kind of just does this weird thing of like merging these two shots together with with in between Mm -hmm. shots it's more linear rather than like an exponential like a startup slow up 
startup slowdown, speed yeah. up slowdown yeah. thing, it just goes straight across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have any easing. Yeah, mm. but but I, I wonder like that that's that's a manual process that you're automating. Um, and and even when you're the animator, like there is some creative process or control that you have over it, but largely it's like you're just drawing from one to the next. Like those two shots have been drawn, and you have there's almost very little uh, creative control between those two shots. Um, so, I mean, like you could argue that, uh, in, you know, AI doing that kind of job, sure, it would, uh, you know, cut the, the person out in the middle, but it would also like maybe be like, maybe not be as different um, in terms of creatively because that person, yeah, you know, they do have some creative control, but again, it's not like the overall uh, thing. It's a very manual process. Anyway. I think I think with that it's kind of like um I think it'd be wrong to to deny it right so because it's going to happen no matter what so it's up to us to prove a convince not a convincing case but to figure out how we could make it work with us before we don't because there's technologies that have have come and gone that makes that that could have been used a lot better but just no one was there to figure it out properly like for example 3D televisions uh, even though I'm not really in the space because you're not better than me, not NFTs in whole, as a whole, but like the, that whole NFT profile picture, I think was a example of it just coming up with the technology and not being able to prove a case for it quick enough. And then people just go, oh, well, forget it. Like now everyone who's got those monkeys are all broke, aren't they? No, they still make a lot of money. <laughs> are they? I saw someone just, the, some one of the famous YouTubers you had one, it's now worth like $10 and he paid like 100 grand for it. No, if it's the monkeys, they're worth a lot. They're still worth a lot. Well, that was an example. Um, yeah. I don't know which one it is, but. But yeah, a lot of them have dropped in value. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was just the thing of, you know, idea not coming at the same time as, um, as progress, let's say. So yeah. yeah, basically we just need to figure out a way to quickly make it work with us. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, in terms of um, dangers to things, though, one of the interesting things, this might be a bit of a tangent, sorry, but one of the interesting things I'd be interested in getting like your guys' take on, coming back to the brain dish Pong stuff, is kind of taking the more like hardware side of things rather than the AI side of things and tying it back into stuff like Neuralink. So that's mm. like Elon Musk's kind of like human brain interface. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've got Pong is like the, the game tie in there. And so you've got all the like sci-fi tropes of virtual reality, but not like VR headsets, but rather like Matrix style, like I'm jacked in or yeah, you insert your sci-fi here kind of um, kind of situation. Like how do you guys feel about a lot of that in light of these experiments kind of being like, oh yeah, we've just hooked some neurons up to a game. Like it's it's the start. I think it's so early on, but I mean, you know, a lot of, uh, you've got like both utopian and dystopian uh, examples of, of, of uh, you know, being hooked in like that into a kind of uh, online experience. And, you know, some people will see like Ready Player One and they're like, I want that. And then they see, you know, the Matrix and it's, nobody wants that. So um, I think it'd be interesting to see like the experiments. And I know that Neuralink has done some stuff to uh, teach get monkeys to control certain things using a Neuralink. So yeah, I think there was that one of it. Um, it playing. Yeah, it was playing pong with its mind. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that's <sighs> yeah, yeah. And uh, again, like I think for now, it's kind of like cool that we're seeing it. But as long as we're kind of keeping an eye on where it <laughs> ends up, 
you don't want it to be yeah. dystopian in any way. Neuralink looks great for disabilities. Like yeah. the what the, the theory of what it can do, of being like, I can hear again, I don't have this motor disease anymore, um, Alzheimer's, anything like that, I think is great. But I think it I think when it puts a collective group, let's say, at an advantage, that's when we're in trouble. That's if it right. goes, you can now learn physics in an instant, right? But only the people who can afford Kung it, food. let's say. Yeah, 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 right? You're just going to have these super, like any kind of superhuman, you know, right? The other thing is you don't want, you don't want like, it's it's all fine and dandy until um, advertisers get their hands on it and they're beaming you <laughs> ads in your sleep. Ad, ads in your sleep, yeah. <laughs> I have the premium dream, bro. Yeah, Go I ads. pay for subscription <laughs> to not get ads. Because that was a bit that got me, like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I could be pop sciencing this a bit like way too hard right now but one of the things that got me about it was at some point they said it had like read and write capabilities oh, gosh. in that like you know we've we'd, like got these little electrodes in your brain and yeah we can read the signals out but we can send electricity back in and we can stimulate that stuff right back at you and i was like oh that's that's something else yeah yeah that's Thanks. not good hacking to another hole to a whole yeah. new level this is cyberpunk yep all right. All right. I think that's a good point to end the conversation. Uh, it's been amazing. I think we covered a lot of topics and really explored a lot. Um, mm. Community poll for the episode. Maybe do we just kind of ask, what are you excited or scared about with AI in uh, in game mm. development or, or games? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh Jacko, thank you for coming on. Mm, oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. And uh, thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catch you then, yeah. <laughs> See ya. See, See you guys. You. Fabulians is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBooleans or by emailing us at hello at LiveBooleans.com.